I want to minister for a little while through a message I'm calling Triumphant Grace. <laughs> Amen. Triumphant Grace is so much more than just the name of this ministry, and it's so much more than just the name of this church. You see, one of the synonyms for the word triumphant is the word victorious. So every time we say triumphant grace, we are essentially saying and declaring victorious grace. Friends, I want to give you a newsflash here this morning. Daddy doesn't have any other kind of grace than victorious, ever-increasing, superabounding, and triumphant grace. I would challenge you to search the scriptures and you will not find anything but a triumphant grace. Through the message this morning, I want you to see that the triumphant grace that you and I have received was totally sufficient to take away all of our sins, past, present, and future, and to cleanse us once and all from what I'm calling spiritual leprosy. Jesus was walking along in his ministry. He was on his way to Jerusalem, and he entered a village. And when he did, he encountered ten lepers. Now, we hear this word lepers quite a bit, and I want you to take a look at the PowerPoint this morning to give you a little bit of a look at what lepers look like. It is not pretty. Leprosy is still a very real disease. They call it today Hansen's disease. Sometimes it goes by leprosy, but Hansen's disease. In fact, there's still a colony of lepers on a little island off of Hawaii, one of the Hawaiian islands. They had more than 8,000 lepers there at one time. They kind of quarantined them there. And now that population has reduced down to about 15 or 16. Leprosy is a very real thing. It's an ugly disease. It's debilitating. It's gross. It's gruesome. It's horrendous. But when the Bible refers to leprosy, it's not just to talk to us about how bad the disease was. It is a type and shadow, if you will, of what sin is. When it talks about leprosy, it's a type and shadow of sin. Leprosy was the outward manifestation of what the inside of a man looks like apart from Christ. Let me say it again. Leprosy is the outward manifestation of what it looks like on the inside of a man who does not know Jesus. A leper was without cure, and without hope. The disease, first of all, destroyed the skin, then it went down and got the nerves, and then it went down and ate the flesh up, and then it went right down into the bones. Leprosy ate you alive, and it sequestered you from the ones you love. In other words, it separated you from the people that you love. Let me ask you a question. Was leprosy something that just came upon sinners for doing bad things? The answer is no. Leprosy was no respecter of persons. It's a highly contagious disease. No respecter of persons. I wanted you to know something. If you had leeches in a stream and a homeless man stuck his foot in that stream, a leech would attach itself to his foot as quick as it would the Queen of England. It is no respecter of persons. It is a nasty, like I said, debilitating disease. The Old Covenant consisted of laws. There were civil laws, there were ceremonial laws, and there were what we call the moral laws, the Ten Commandments, if you will. It was a very comprehensive law that God gave Moses to ensure that the Israelites' behavior lined up and pointed people to the God that they worshipped. There were 613 total laws. That means there were 613 bony fingers that were pointing you to do something or to not do something. Very complicated, very comprehensive, and all-encompassing. All these Old Covenant laws, all these old Jewish laws, not a single one of them had anything to do with triumphant grace. It was rules in place of relationship. Jesus would ultimately come and die for us so that he could give us relationship in place of rules. Love 
in place of laws. Grace in place of grind. Under the ceremonial law of Moses, it mandated that the leper warn approaching people. Therefore, the leper was constantly broadcasting his hopeless condition. Thanks to Jesus and thanks to triumphant grace, believers are no longer left in a hopeless condition. In Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, we find this wonderful hope that we have. The Bible says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, justified means to be declared righteous. You have been given the righteousness of God. It has been infused to you. It's not something that you just put in your pocket. It's not something that you can lose. It is something that becomes one with you. You are infused together. You are one with Christ. You're no longer just not guilty. You have all of the innocence of Christ that has been transferred into your account, transferred into your heart, transferred into your mind, transferred into your nature. You have all of his innocence. Think about that for a second. How innocent is our lamb? How innocent is our Jesus? And all of his innocence was deposited into me the day I said, Jesus, come and live in my heart. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've also gained access by this faith into this grace which we now stand. And it says, and we boast, here it is again, we boast in the hope, something that a leper didn't have. When he was diagnosed, he had an absolute death sentence put on him. He had absolutely no hope, and he knew it was going to be a horribly painful death. So the Bible says we have a hope. It starts with this justification. So for a believer to walk around like they have no hope, that's just nonsense. When we've been justified, that means declared innocent. All Jesus' innocence has been given to us. The Bible says that produces a hope. We have a hope that the world doesn't have. And we boast. The word boast means we brag about it. We don't stay quiet. I can't stay quiet. I try to sometimes, don't I, honey? I try to stay quiet, but I can't. I'm always boasting in the hope that I have in Christ. No matter where I go, I'm talking about Christ. And the Apostle Paul was doing the same thing. He says, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. He goes on to say, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. There it is again. The hope that triumphant grace gives us frees us from that leprous mindset. And then one more time it says, and hope does not put us to shame. Do you know how much shame was on those men as they were so disfigured and so marred? Total shame. There's been times in life where I've been growing up, especially in my younger years when I was in school, and I don't know, man, I just get a big old pimple on my face, and man, it's like, oh, I just thought it was the end of the world. It's like, I do not want to go to school like this. I feel so bad. I feel so shameful. Like there's something terribly wrong with me, like I'm the only one in school that's going to look that way. But now imagine your whole nose is missing, and people are staring at you, and they're saying, you're disgusted. I read the story of a woman who was so disfigured, they called her the ugliest woman in the world. And she didn't know she was labeled the ugliest woman in the world until one day she was on the internet shopping around on YouTube and her picture came up. She was horribly devastated. Not just by the fact that she was labeled the ugliest woman in the world, but there were 4,000 comments Many of them said, you are so homely, why don't you just end your life? They were horrible comments on there. Now imagine the leper who you can see his arteries pumping because the flesh has been eaten away, the nose is gone, the digits are missing. He is without hope. He's been alienated, he's been set aside, he's been cast aside and declared, there's nothing we can do for you. The Apostle Paul says, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit 
who He has given to us. That's why I'm not ashamed. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Just share what Jesus has done in your life, what Jesus has done in your heart. Somebody has listened. Somebody is paying attention. And I want to tell you something. It will bring hope. The leper of the Old Testament was mandated, hear me now, mandated by ceremonial law to continuously transmit the message of uncleanness. And because of the Old Covenant programming, believers are still doing that today. Lepers were to bring their shame front and center so as to repel another human being from getting close to them. I want to tell you something. You've heard me talk about the Life Center. The Life Center was a place I used to serve, and we served people food every Saturday morning for several hours. There were people that were sweaty and smelly and had open sores, but I put my arms around as many as I could. I'd walk up and down that line. See, I had the attitude, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. How about some of this triumphant grace that's reigning in my heart get off on you? We're so worried about the world getting on us. We don't need to worry about the world getting off on us. Let's get off on them. And so lepers were separated from the general population because it was highly contagious. I understand it. In Leviticus chapter 13, we find the instruction that God gave to Moses for lepers. Here it is. As for the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn and the hair of his head shall be uncovered and he shall cover his mustache or his beard and cry, unclean, unclean. As long as the serious disease lasts, they will be ceremonially unclean. In other words, they can't come to the synagogue. They can't come to the temple. They can't come to their family. They can't come inside the city. They are unclean. They must live in isolation in their place outside the camp. This is what the ceremonial law of Moses demanded of the leper. So from a distance, you were able to identify a leper. Not because of missing fingers and toes and eyes and nose, but you could see their torn robe flapping in the wind. You could see the turban or the scarf that was missing from their head. You could see them covering their mustache. And if your eyesight was poor, you could hear them yelling from a distance, unclean, unclean. I mean, if you got within 30 or 40 or 50 feet of them, they said that was too close. I'm unclean, I'm unclean. There are ministers that stand in the pulpits and they keep telling the body of Christ through well-meaning sermons that they are unclean. They are looking at a person's external behavior and calling them unclean. That is not the way it is, and that should not be so. Did you know many believers are afraid? I've seen it as a minister. They're afraid to take the Holy Communion when it's passed because they think, I'm not clean enough. I haven't been good enough this week. So I'll just let it pass on by. That's what it's for. It's to remind us that we are clean. That you're no longer unclean. You're a part of the body of Christ. So take my body as a reminder that you're already clean. I've come by today to remind you and to remind the body of Christ that Daddy has put the crown of beauty on our heads he has put the robe of righteousness over our shoulders. He has slipped the ring of oneness over our fingers. And he has fitted our feet with the shoes of sonship. You and I have been washed by the blood of the Lamb. And we are forever clean. Come on, somebody say amen to that. I cannot begin to tell you how much the body of Christ has had to suffer because people have not heard the message of His triumphant grace or because the message didn't line up with their indoctrination and they prematurely rejected it. You've got to sit under this message. It's a drip, drip message. Friends, I want to tell you from the depths of my heart that His triumphant grace has made you forever clean 
we are no longer torn, we are no longer infected, we are no longer uncovered, and we no longer live in isolation, we no longer possess the disease of leprosy because we were placed inside of the man who died on the outside of the camp. It was on a hill called Golgotha, and it was Jesus' innocent blood that ran down off of his feet, off of his toes, and crushed the head of the serpent. Three days later, my Jesus triumphantly rose from the grave and he began dispensing his triumphant grace. It was then that the new covenant was instituted and it was then that he made the believer immune to spiritual leprosy. When you come to Christ, I want you to know something. You are immune to spiritual leprosy. Nothing can ever attach itself to your spirit ever again. He never gives it up. In Hebrews chapter 13, verses 11 and 12, we find these words. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering. But the bodies, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. You thought you were being holy through your performance? You were made holy through his blood. Friends, it was outside the camp. That is, when we were in our sinful and leprous condition, when they wouldn't let us inside the camp, when they wouldn't let us inside the city, that Christ died for us. And the Apostle Paul declared, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I was crucified with Christ on the outside of the camp in that leprous condition, but I no longer live in that condition because Christ lives in me, the hope of glory. In Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, we find these words. You see, at just the right time, I like that, at just the right time, when we were still powerless. Now, the reason I like that is because when it says we were powerless, in the Greek, it literally means when we were without breath. You can't do anything without breath. You couldn't walk across this floor without breath. So there was no contribution on our part. It says at the right time when we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, while we were still on the outside of the camp, while we were on the outside of the city, while we were on the outside of the gate, laden with leprosy, when our cry was unclean, unclean, that's when Christ died for us and he put me right inside of him. It was through his death that his blood became my blood. It was through his spirit that his spirit became my spirit. And it was his triumphant grace that becomes our triumphant grace. Today, when many Christians blow it, their inner religious cry is built into this like stronghold, if you will, because if you say something over and over, or if you do something over and over, or if you think on something over and over, it builds into what we call a stronghold, a mindset, a mentality. And so our mentality at one time, our religious cry was, sinful, sinful, I'm no longer holy, I'm outside the city gate as a leper. No, you are not outside the city gate as a leper. You are in the body of Christ. And we see this marvelous truth in Romans chapter 7 and verse 4. The Apostle Paul says, So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to what? The law. That means the civil law, the ceremonial law, and the moral law. All the law. He said you died. He didn't say just to the Ten Commandments. He said you died to all those crazy 613 Jewish laws. He said you died to those laws. You died to the law. How did you do it? Through the body of Christ. We died to the law through the body of Christ. Listen, 
we need to quit combing our hair and putting on pretty clothes and putting on pretty perfume and doing certain calisthenics to think somehow this makes me better with daddy. No, we died. We're dead in the body of Christ. And then when he came out of the grave and he rose triumphantly, we rose triumphantly with him so that we could too dispense this triumphant grace. So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. We do not work for our salvation and we do not work just because he saved us, but we are called to bring fruit. We are called to bring fruit. We're called to bring fruit. Whatever that looks like for you, it might be one apple for you and it might be a basket full of apples for you. We're occasionally supposed to bring fruit, okay? All right. Unfortunately, many Christians believe that they are still unclean when they fail. That is because, listen to me carefully, they do not believe that his triumphant grace is greater than their failure. When they fail, they somehow just can't believe that his grace could be greater than that failure, than that blunder, than that sin, whatever it is. How could your grace be that great? Well, we'll find out. Romans chapter 5, verse 20. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. You see what it's saying there? It's saying, listen, the purpose of the law was to show you you're a sinner, not to stop you from sinning. And you put somebody under law, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to break it. When we had that solar eclipse, two of the ladies I work with always go for a walk on their lunch break, and their lunch break was right at the time when that solar eclipse was taking place. They both had their sunglasses on. They knew better. They aren't going to look at that sun. And the one told me, she said, when I was walking along, she said, I called my husband, and I was talking to him. And he said, now, whatever you do, don't look at that sun right now, because we got the, like she didn't know, because the solar eclipse is out right now. And she said, I immediately had to look at it. She said, I don't even know what came over me. I said, well, I do. You got put under a law. You got put under a rule. And when we get put under laws and we get put under rules, the first thing we want to do is we want to break them. You know, I don't know. It's just a weird thing, but it it makes us want to break them. I don't know how many times I've seen that sign on the wall that said wet paint. There's just something in me that goes, really, is it wet? Maybe I'm the only one. You do that too? Oh, Marty's done it too. I don't know, but it's a law. It says, do not, do not. And it makes me want to do it all the more because I don't know. I told this story once before when I was way up in Hayward, Wisconsin. I went into this old Indian store. They sold Indian stuff, you know. I don't know why I went in there, but I did. And they had an Indian sitting in a chair. He's a waxed Indian. He had a placard and holding the placard here said, do not touch. And I looked at that Indian, I thought, man, is that really a waxed Indian or, or is that really a man? And I, I started reaching, I saw the sign, do not touch. I had to touch him. Now this was like 20 some years ago, but anyway, as I was getting close to touching him, I heard this Indian go, and I looked over and he was hiding behind some clothes. No touch. And I said, no, no touch. Why does it do that to us? That's what laws are designed to do. The Bible says that the trespass might increase, not decrease. The law of God was not put in effect to make you stop sinning. It was to say, listen, I'm going to show you you're already a sinner like this. And now that I put you under this law, you're going to see it more obviously. That's what the law was for. See, listen, if we can just separate this old covenant from new covenant, I'm telling you, you will walk in freedom. You will walk in the spirit of life and the spirit of joy. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But I love this part, but where sin increased, grace, grace increased all the more. Oh, that makes me happy on the inside. That's because it's an ever-increasing grace. It's a super-abounding grace. It is a victorious grace, and it is a triumphant grace. The best that the law could do was to quarantine a leper. Jesus didn't come to quarantine the lepers. 
He came to cleanse them and release them from bondage. He came to give them back their noses so that they might inhale the aroma of Christ as a sweet-smelling savor into their nostrils. He came to give them back their fingers so that they could reach out and touch Him. He came to give the lepers eyes so that they might be able to see His triumphant grace. Amen. The Word tells us that Jesus cleansed all ten lepers. That is to say, He took away their leprosy. He didn't just scrub them up. He didn't just wash them. He took away their leprosy. When we roll this truth over into the New Covenant, which is where we're at right now, it is a picture of Jesus cleansing us or taking away all of our sins. But only one only one of the ten lepers returned to fall on his knees and give thanks. And as I was meditating on that yesterday, the question that came to my mind, why would Jesus take away an imminent death sentence for nine unthankful lepers? Good question, isn't it? It wasn't like Jesus came by and they had ten cups and he threw a couple of coins in each of the ten cups and go, there you go, go buy you some bread. No, he gave them a gift of cleansing them. This was an extravagant gift. Nobody could give them that kind of gift. Only Jesus could give them that kind of a gift. The cleansing cured them of their disease and it gave them hope and it assimilated them or reunited them back into their families. Now, I'll tell you why Jesus cleansed those nine unthankful lepers. It's for the same reason that Jesus takes away our sin. Remember, leprosy is a picture of sin. It's the same reason that Jesus takes away our sin, even though many believers do not subsequently live lives that are reflective of the gift of grace that they have been given. It is because of His triumphant grace that we are cleansed apart from whether we thank Him with our lifestyles or not. That is what triumphant and true grace looks like. It is not based upon our performance. It runs way ahead of our behavior. It doesn't cease to be when we are unthankful. Now the question is, did Jesus reverse the condition of wholeness back to leprosy for the nine unthankful lepers. You know, I've given gifts sometimes to unthankful people, and before they've even walked away, I've almost wanted to take it back just because they, so, they were unthankful. But grace teaches you the heart of Jesus is to give without expecting return. Again, the question, did Jesus reverse the condition of wholeness that he put on him? of cleansing that he put on him, did he reverse that back to leprosy for the nine unthankful lepers? The answer is unequivocally no. Will Jesus reverse our condition back to sinner because we are unthankful or even sinful at times? The answer, once again, is resoundingly no. Now, I am a huge proponent of living a thankful life a thankful lifestyle of honoring God with all my substance, my money, my body, my mind, my family, my ministry. I'm a huge proponent of honoring God with everything that He's given me. But in the same breath, I have come to the revelation that my salvation is not based upon my thanksgiving. It's based upon His triumphant grace. In Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19, we find the story of these lepers. And it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off, and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master have mercy on us. 
That is not what the ceremonial law told them to do. The ceremonial law said, you are to say, unclean, unclean. But their response was, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They know his name. Jesus. They know his position. Master. But most of all, they knew his heart. Mercy. Mercy. Here comes the man of mercy. He is our only hope. They knew his heart. Under the law, you will know his name and you will know his position, but you will never know his heart. You will never understand the heart of Jesus, the heart of our Father under a law-based life. There's no freedom there. There's no freedom to get close. Jesus had not been crucified yet when the story was written here. So technically, these lepers were not Christians now. Nonetheless, they are putting their trust in Jesus to save them from their leprosy. In other words, like we put our trust in Jesus to save us from our sin. Through a simple act of faith, they were calling on the name of Jesus. And when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves unto the priest. That was the custom. You had to go show yourself to the priest. It was like you going to the doctor and the doctor saying, your condition is worse, your condition is better. He said, go show yourself unto the priest. And it came to pass as they went, they were cleansed. I don't know what that looked like. They were walking along. Jesus already gave them the word, go show yourself to the priest. These are men of faith. They, they turned to go to the priest. And as they were walking along, they probably were looking at their hands. They were looking at their feet. They were looking at each other. And one of them, the Bible says, when he saw that he was healed, he saw that he was healed. My fingers are back. Jesus has not just cleansed me. Jesus has made me whole. My fingers that were missing, they're back. My toes are back. I got a nose. Oh, can you imagine the excitement? Oh, they were so excited. Mercy has showed up. Mercy has done her perfect work. And it says, as they went, they were cleansed. And when he saw that he was healed, watch his response. Turn back. <laughs> turn back. You see, the reason he turned back, there was no need for the ceremonial law. He already knew he had been made whole. He already knew he had been made complete. There's no reason for us to run back to ceremonial and civil and moral laws because we know we've already been cleansed. We've already been healed. We don't need to go see the priest. We've already been healed. And there are millions of people who I don't want to beat my brothers and sisters up in Christ but think they can't get forgiveness unless they go to a minister or a priest somewhere. I want you to know something. When Jesus saves us of our sin, he puts a triumphant grace inside of us and it never goes out. Never runs out. And when he saw that he was healed, he turned back and with a loud voice, oh, that guy must have been so happy. <laughs> he probably louder than me. And with a loud voice, he glorified God and fell on his face at his feet, Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Watch what it says. And he was a Samaritan. The others were probably Jews. God's own chosen people that didn't come back and say thank you. This man is a Samaritan. Samaritans had nothing to do with Jews. Jesus is a Jew. He knew exactly who he was by the way he was dressed. He knew he was a Jew. But he came back and he, sat, he fell on his face at Jesus' feet. And he gave glory and he gave thanks. And the Bible says, let me just throw this in. He was a Samaritan. The person that you would least expect to do something like this. This is who the man was. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Have not any of them come back to give glory to God except this stranger? Some translations say this foreigner or this alien. And he said to him, Arise! Go thy way! Thy faith hath made thee whole. Not just cleansed. Not just forgiven whole 
thy faith. The same way we get saved, by faith, thy faith hath made thee whole. Nine of ten lepers did not return to give thanks to Jesus. These are men that recognized Jesus even from a distance when he walked into their village, which means that they must have had some previous encounter with Jesus and that they knew that Jesus could heal them. In other words, they must have saw him doing stuff like this somewhere else. Otherwise, they would have not had this initial response when he walked in. But even once they were healed of leprosy, they were so programmed with the Jewish law, a system that does not consist of thank yous and pleases and you're welcome. See, the law won't tell you thank you for doing something right. But it'll tell you when you messed up. And if you said to the law, well, thank you for helping me understand that uh, I really shouldn't do this, the law won't go, you're welcome. The law will never say, please. It just says, do not. Or do this. That's what the law does. And so they have been programmed with the absence of using thank you and the absence of using you're welcome and pleases. I want you to know something. If you take a child and put him in a home and those parents are not in the habit of saying thank you and you're welcome to each other and I love you and please and all these wonderful things that we're supposed to be saying, that child will grow up just like them. Now, if they change later in life, but you take on your atmosphere, you take on what you're subjected to, you take on what you're familiar with, and these guys were familiar with a law that never said thank you. And it still never says thank you. And it will not say you're welcome. The grace message takes away a lot of wrong-headed thinking that doesn't come out with just salvation. It is that message, that continual drip that takes it away. Salvation takes away our leprosy and deposits triumphant grace in our spirit. But we must renew our minds continually with the goodness of God and the love of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God so that when we approach Scripture, we approach it with eyes eyes to see triumphant grace in every single scripture we look at in every single narrative we read I've never really thought about the story of the lepers the way I saw it until yesterday and I thought wow what triumphant grace one of ten giving thanks seems like such a small percentage you know you'll be released from the NFL nine out of ten times when you carried it you fumbled it if you made one out of every ten basketball shots, they'd cut you from the NBA. And if you rolled through nine out of every ten stop signs, you'd lose your license. So I thought, wow, that's a small percentage here, Jesus. You only got one out of ten. And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, the cleansing of the lepers, regardless of their thankfulness, was because Jesus is good. Their cleansing was not based upon their own gratitude any more than our sin is removed because of our own good behavior. Friends, that is what triumphant grace looks like. The biblical number nine, because we're talking about nine unthankful lepers, the biblical number nine represents completeness or finality. In Mark chapter 15, verses 33 and 34, the Bible says, And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli! Eli! Lama! Sabachthani! My God! My God! Why hast thou forsaken me? Six is the number for man. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land. There was darkness over all of man. All men were living in darkness at the sixth hour. But it says, until, until the ninth hour. Oh, until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out. Did you notice? that it was at the ninth hour that Jesus died. What was he dying for? He was dying to take away our leprosy. 
He was dying to take away our sins. He didn't die at the seventh hour, and he didn't die at the eighth hour. He died at the ninth hour, the hour of completeness. The ninth hour was the exact moment when he cried from the cross, It is finished! Daddy! Nine cleansed lepers may not return to give thanks to me, but their removal of leprosy is made complete by my finished work and not the lack of their thankfulness. It is the finished work, and Daddy, I'm calling it triumphant grace. I was visiting with a sales representative over the phone on Friday of this past week. And right out of the gate, she said, I'm always fighting battles. I could, I could hear the desperation in her voice. She said, I'm always fighting battles. I said, learn to rest, man. Jesus already fought our battles on the cross. And I said, and he was victorious. He triumphed over the cross, and then he gave us grace. And she immediately said, wow, I needed to hear that. Triumphant grace has been deposited in every believer. The grace that never runs out, never runs low, and never runs dry. Every sermon that has been preached in this church since her beginning has waved the banner of triumphant grace. We have waved that banner high, and we have waved it at our Jesus. We have waved it at our Jesus. Did you ever notice that this ministry doesn't preach much about the devil? It is not because the devil's not real. He's real, he's evil, but he is also defeated. You see, talking about the devil will not enrich your life any more than talking about leprosy will heal you. We don't get free from talking about the source of bondage. We walk in freedom through the revelation of the promise that Christ has set us free through his once-for-all sacrifice on the cross. That's how you get free. And we see this truth in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. The Apostle Paul says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. He said, stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now that scares some Christians because they think, oh no, what am I going to do to get under this yoke of slavery again? What is this yoke of slavery that the Apostle Paul is talking about? You say, he must be talking about sin. No, he is not talking about sin. Well, he must be talking about leprosy. No, he's not talking about leprosy. Sin and leprosy have been dealt death blows. They are not our problems. Believers are dead to sin and immune from leprosy. Not just insulated from sin, we are dead to sin. Not just separated from sin, dead to sin. Dead to sin. I'm going to tell you something. When I was a young boy, my daddy always carried a pocket knife, and it was sharp as can be. He always had a whetstone, always sharpening that knife. And when I was just a little boy, every once in a while he'd open up that knife and he'd hand it to me and he would say, here, son, I want you to cut my toenails. I'd be like, Daddy, all right. He would get ingrown toenails and it would take you to whittle on those things for an hour and he'd be pulling his foot back all the time. Oh, son, oh, son, you know, and you'd cut him every once in a while. Me and my little 10-year-old, 11-year-old kid, but I'm trying to cut these ingrown toenails out and I'm working on them and, I'm, and I'm, this is my daddy, so I want to please my daddy. I want to help my daddy out. He's in pain. These things are hurting him. And so I did that many, many times. That spilled over and I did that for my mother's second husband. He must have heard me talking about it one time. He said, I got the same problem. Here's a knife. And I worked on his feet for a while. I don't have a problem with that kind of stuff. But many years ago when my mother was still living, I had to take her to the podiatrist because she had to have a toenail removed. I don't remember what the situation was, but a big toenail removed. And I thought, wow, I really don't want to watch this. But something said, you got to stay in there and you got to watch this. And so I stayed in that office and I watched it. And I thought, man, I know how my daddy used to jerk around. I know how my daddy used to get in pain from this kind of stuff. My mom, she can't take pain. What are they going to do? And he brought out a big old syringe, and he stuck it in the big toe, and he just waited for a little while and talked to us for a little while. 
stuff like that. Pretty soon that toe lost all of its sensitivity. And they took a big rubber band and he rolled it over that big toe. Can't have blood squirting everywhere. Put that big rubber band over there and I watched him as he took a scalpel and he put it up underneath that toenail and he just carved it all off while my mom's just sitting there not paying any attention to it and watched him reach down with some pliers and yank that toenail because it goes way back up under the skin and stuff like that. So as I was thinking about that yesterday, I couldn't help but think, how could he do something like that? And how could my mom not move around? It's because the toe was dead to pain. It was dead to pain. In the same way, believers are dead to sin. They're dead to sin. We're not just numb from it. We are dead to sin. When that truth begins to set up and reign in your heart, I'm telling you, you will walk in victory. You'll walk in this triumphant grace. In Romans chapter 6, verses 8 through 11, we find these words. Now, if we died with Christ... We believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin. Watch this, once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. In other words, you don't feel the pain of sin. Even when you blow it, it's not searing in your mind because you are dead to it. You just say simply, that was not me. That is not my true nature. I have a triumphant grace nature. That wasn't me. I am dead to sin. I am dead to the law. And I'm alive in Christ. And then Romans chapter 6, verse 14. For sin shall no longer be your master. Because you are not under the law, but under grace. What kind of grace is the Apostle Paul talking about? He's talking about triumphant grace, victorious grace, a grace that superabounds, a grace that knows no end, a grace that has no limits, a grace that is ever increasing. Paul's talking about standing firm on the essential truth that man is saved. That means he's declared righteous by grace through faith alone the book of Galatians opens with the apostle Paul he's admonishing the Galatians not to be led back into captivity by the Judaizers through their erroneous teaching of circumcision and obeying those 613 laws for your justification he is telling the Galatians that trusting in those 613 laws circumcision and the Mosaic law he says that will keep you in leprosy when you put your trust in that. Christ died on the cross. Do you want to put your trust in a law? Not me. My final scriptures. Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, who's that one man? That one man is Adam, isn't it? And death through sin, and in the same way, death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin, watch this now, is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Oh, man, that makes me happy. Sin is not charged. In other words, it's not deposited in my account. It's like a transaction trying to come into my bank account. And Jesus just standing there going, uh-oh, that's a corrupt transaction. The Holy Spirit is on guard. He won't let anything in. <laughs> Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. And by the way, from the time of Adam to the time of Moses was 2,500 years or about that. It says death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as Adam, who is the pattern of the one to come. In other words, what he was saying is there between Adam and Moses those 2,500 years, there was no law. There was a law given to Adam that was don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But after that, there was no law. I'm not saying there wasn't any consequence for your behavior, but there was no law. And that's what he's talking about here. There was no law until Moses went up on Mount Sinai, got the Ten Commandments and came down, and then all those 613 laws came out of those ten. He said, but the gift 
The gift is not like the trespass. And I've come by today to tell you the triumphant gift of grace works even when we act like an unthankful leper. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, that's Adam, how much more did God's grace, what kind of grace is that? Oh, it's triumphant grace. And the gift that came by, the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflowed to the many. Nor can the gift of God, what kind of gift is that? Triumphant grace. Be compared with the result of one man's sin, the judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift, the gift of triumphant grace, the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. That means all my innocence has been transferred to you. For by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of triumphant grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ consequently just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people for just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Friends, the wonderful truths that reach out to us through the Scripture are these. We have been cleansed of spiritual leprosy once for all. We no longer have to broadcast our hopeless condition of unclean, unclean, because Jesus has made us clean. We are no longer ragged. We are no longer torn. We are no longer infected. We are no longer uncovered. We are no longer in isolation. We have died in the body of Christ outside the camp. We are made holy through His blood and we are forever clean. We are forever clean for one reason and for one reason only. It is because of Jesus' triumphant grace. Amen. Father, I want to thank you for this word today in Jesus' name. I have preached it with all my heart, Daddy. And Daddy, I believe everything I preach today. I want to thank you that you gave me simple ways to explain deep, deep truths, Daddy. Truths that have been walked around and walked over and not seen by other people, Daddy. But I just thank you for the revelation. I thank you for the revelation that every time I go to the Scriptures, I'm looking for triumphant grace. I'm looking for Jesus. I'm looking for you to show up. I'm looking for you to remind me I no longer have leprosy. I'm looking for you to remind me my clothes are no longer ragged and torn. I'm looking for you to remind me that I wear your crown of beauty, your robe of righteousness, your ring of oneness, and you have fitted my feet with the shoes of the gospel of peace. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.